song, and that song is so beautiful to me because uh, the man who wrote it is not David Crowder. It's a man named John Mark McMillan, and if you ever listen, to, does someone know who John Mark McMillan is? Okay, yeah, I figured it'd be Dan. And so John Mark, what's that? Yes, John Mark McMillan is a great worship singer. Y'all should listen to him. He has one of the most unique voices I've ever heard, but also his lyrics are just so truthful and filled with grace. And he wrote this song about his friend named Stephen. And so him and Stephen were having a conversation, and Stephen said, if my, if I, if my death could mean that one person's life would be changed uh, for the power of Jesus Christ, then I would gladly die. A couple weeks later, he was killed in a car crash. And then John Mark McMillan, with tears and with hurt and Uh, with trust in the Lord, wrote this song, penned this song, how he loves us. He had lost his best friend, but he remembered what his friend had said. He remembered that God's plans are always above our plans. See, I think it's hard for us to remember that sometimes. I often hear people say, all I want is God's will. Well, then do things. If you just continue to pray and wait for God's will, you're going to be waiting forever. Because God's will is plainly laid out for us in Scripture. There's a thing called sovereignty. This has been in my heart a lot lately, but sovereignty. Do you guys know what sovereignty is? It's the fact that God will cover all things because God is bigger than our decisions. God is bigger than our plans. And everything that we do, God already knows is going to happen. That's His foreknowledge, His omniscience. He already knows the decisions that we will make. And so God's will is to do the things that he commands us and trust that as we make decisions, he will have sovereignty over it. He will work it together for the good of those who love him. Romans eight twenty eight, right? You guys probably have that tattooed on you. Or Jeremiah 29, 11. Like all these things. Yes, God wants those things for you. So do the things that he calls you to do and I promise he'll take care of you. He'll work it out. Just like Stephen in his death, God's sovereignty covered a death. Now think about how hard that is to believe. Like, I know you guys would say, yeah, Ricky, we know. God works in death until someone close to you dies. And then it's hard to say, well, God had purpose in it. Right? But the reality is, just like Stephen, just like that person who passed away in your life, God's purpose is in that to show us something amazing. Because when someone passes away, They get to go to be with the Lord. And so for them, they've reached the pinnacle of all that they've sought for, all that sin had separated for, but Jesus destroyed through his death on the cross. They get to go there, and for us, we're left with memories, and we're left with sadness. But that sadness should be turned into joy because God is working through that. And trusting sovereignty allows us to understand that God wants to do something great. We just can't sit around and wait for his will. That's unbiblical. God never said, sit around, don't do anything, and wait for my will. No. No, you you can't find a Bible story like that. Now, there's times like in the book of Ezekiel, which is a prophecy where God makes him do some weird stuff, and we don't really understand that. And he has to do some waiting. Sometimes God calls us to wait. But if someone says to you, hey, do you want to have an opportunity to share the gospel? You don't have to say, let me pray about it. If you say, let me pray around it, guess what? You just sinned. Guess what? You just missed out on God's will. It's always God's will for you to share the gospel. It's always God's will for you to love people. It's always God's will for you to love him. God doesn't have specific opportunities that he just has made perfectly for you, that he's just waiting and waiting for you to find, like a treasure hunt. No, God has created so many opportunities for you. It's about the opportunities that you seize through his sovereignty and through the trust that you have in him. 
I've been listening to a podcast. Some of you are like, oh, that's great. Are you going to tell us about it? Yes, I am. And so many of you may have listened to this podcast. Uh, it's a pretty popular podcast right now. It's called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Is, am I the only one listening to that? Okay, we got three other people, so that's awesome. And probably because I've been like, hey, you need to listen to this podcast. Except for Barry, he might have found it himself. Uh, but in The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, it's a very interesting story. Basically, in 1996, a young man who was 25 years old planted a church. He had great intentions as he planted the church. He wanted to see people come to know Jesus in Seattle, one of the least churched cities in America. He would often say that uh, Seattle has more dogs than Christians. That was a true statistic at the time. And so he planted a church. He started a church. And that church started off pretty much like ours. It was really slow growing. And uh, they would add some people here and there. And then after year three, it exploded. And they just had 400 people show up. And then year five, six, seven, they had 1,000 people. And in the early 2000s, they had 12,000 people. 12,000 people. And they were actually one of the, uh, the biggest church in America at one point, and the church is called Mars Hill. And so through that, their church was growing, and the pastor who started out with great intentions was living in a time where he became the first podcast ever for a church on Apple. And you know what happened to that pastor as he began to get this platform? He began to be consumed by pride and his desire that he thought what he did was God's plan for everyone. And so he would start to do things like bully his staff, and he would tell them that this is how it's going to be, and your only job is to make me look good. Your only job is to sell me because my preaching is what is this church is built on. And the bad thing is that people believed that. They believed the lie that the pastor was spinning, that he was God's chosen plan for Seattle. Now, he didn't start off like that, but this sin and lies manipulated him, and he was speaking on stages all over the world, in London, and all of these places. And he started to believe the lies of the enemy. What started out as a good intention, the enemy took and manipulated and lied to this man, so that eventually this man was in a spot where he had felt like he had nowhere else to go. Where he just continued on and continued to hurt people, continued to live. He, he would often say, if you're not on the Mars Hill bus, then you'll be ran over it or under it. He say that at conferences. Many of you may have known Acts 29. Acts 29, uh, Mark Driscoll lied and said he started, but he didn't really start. Uh, and so he, he had this whole mantra that if you follow me, you'll go to where God wants to take you. And we are the plan for the gospel to be distributed. That church ended up closing in 2014. The pastor resigned and it closed overnight. They went into bankruptcy. Uh, the, all 12 of their campuses were dispersed as independent campuses. None of those exist anymore except for one uh, called Doxa Church in Seattle. God reclaimed that church, which was super cool. But the reason that I tell you guys all this is because sometimes our good intentions, the enemy can come in and manipulate, distort, and lie to us. And if we're not so connected to the Word of God and so connected to the Holy Spirit, we be can begin to believe those lies. That we are the one, that us, that it, 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 when it becomes about us is when we realize that we've gone off the path and begin to believe the lies. Because nothing is about us. It's all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we trust God, we walk in Christ. And just like this man, the church would often say, well, it's okay if he's doing this because look at the fruit. No, the fruit is not always actual fruit. 
Sometimes it's Satan's way of manipulating us to continue to hurt people. See, they had 12,000 people, and after that church shut down, there's not really a statistic about this, but uh, during the podcast they interview people, many of those people who are going to that church are no longer involved in church because they were so hurt, they they were manipulated. The pastor was misogynistic and said that women had one place to get married early, have kids, and not work outside the home. And if they worked outside the home, then the, uh, the man was not allowed to be in leadership in the church. That's that going away from the gospel, right? That's the lies that he started to believe. And so what started out as a good intention, Satan manipulated, because I believe this man was a good man. I believe he probably still is. He started another church in Arizona. Guess what? Same stuff's happening. Because when we refuse to submit ourselves to the authority of God, the largeness of God, the authority of who the Lord is, then we just continue in our own ways, saying that the fruit is better than the fruit outweighs the tactics that we take to get there. It's not a reality. The gospel is the tactic that we have to take to get anywhere we are. And so the reason I tell you this story is because we're going to talk about lies today. We're actually going to go back to Genesis. Who's excited, right? We're almost through Exodus. Now we're going back to Genesis. You guys know what's crazy? It was almost a year ago that I preached Genesis chapter 3. Yeah, we made it through almost all of, we made it through all of Genesis and almost all the way through Exodus this year. Yeah, how exciting is that? The reason I think it's exciting, you guys can debate me on it. The fact is, many of us probably have never read all the way through the book of Genesis or Exodus. And so now, you know what you can say? You can be in like, what, I, don't, I didn't grow up in church, but there was one of these things where you would get like stickers and stuff for reading your Bible and reading through books of the Bible, right? What was that called? Awana. Awana, yeah, Awana. So like you would do the Awana stuff and you'd get a sticker and you could probably go to like an Awana store and all that. So you guys just were rewarded an Awana sticker. You know what your prize is? You can pick up a sticker on the way out that says ID Clifton and you can put that on your car. Or you can like us on Facebook or Instagram or whatever and that can be your badge that you wear, right? Like that's what Grayson says. And so y'all can do that and that you just got a reward for reading through Genesis and Exodus. If you guys really want, you can come to me and I'll give you a blow pop or something like that. I have a hundred of them at my house that I accidentally ordered. They were in my Sam's car. I don't even know how I got them. I was like, what is this package of blow pops? Like, why do I want 100 blow pops? Like, now my kids are just eating blow pops like crazy. So, anyways... So the reason that I tell you that is we're going to go back to Genesis 3 because uh, the Advent season is about the coming of Christ. This week is that hope that Christ is going to come. And so to understand the hope of Christ, we have to understand why we need the hope of Christ. That's why we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3 today. And Taylor and I are going to co-preach this because that sounds fun, right? Because uh, you guys have heard me preach it, so now we're going to do it together. And we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3. We're going to look at uh, really that the way that the Satan, the serpent, deceives Adam and Eve. Taylor's going to kick us off. Yeah. My, my mic working? We're good? Yeah, we can hear myself. Yeah, so we sat down this week, and I was like, so what are we preaching on? He was like, well, we're doing this. And then all of a sudden, a few seconds, like, no, we're going to this. I was like, we're going all the way back to Genesis? He was like, yes. And I was like, man, the people are not going to be too thrilled about this. But as I began to read, I started to understand why we had to go back um, to truly understand what promises are meant by and what truth is. And so as you're sitting here today, as you're listening, and you're going through this scripture with us in Genesis 3, 1 through 15. If you guys want to take that time right now to turn to Genesis 3, I want you to focus on this. 
that being unified in the foundation of God's truth defeats the lies of the enemy. Okay? Being unified in the foundation of God's truth defeats the lies of the enemy. And I think that the story that, that Ricky just shared about the podcast, those of you who have been listening about it, I, I didn't know nothing about it, and he was shoving it down on me. He was like, you got to listen to this, man. you got to listen to this. We'd be playing mad, and I'd be beating him by 20. He's like, you got to listen to this. And I was like, okay, you know, we'll finish this game, and then we'll do it. But as I started to listen and hear more of that story, that's, we're all, we've all been there, right? We've all heard lies, whether it be from our spouse or a friend or a family member, but the biggest lie we've ever heard is from Satan. And so we're going to take a look at that in Genesis 3 to here today and see how it played out in the course of human history and how it changed the course of human history for the remaining until Christ's second coming. So, but before we go ahead and do, I want to pray for us, all right? So let's go to the uh, Father in prayer. Dear Father, I just thank you for this opportunity, Lord, for both Ricky and I to be here together, Lord, to bring forth your word, Lord. Let us uh, become smaller so that you become bigger, Lord. Let us become empty so that you can fill this room and your spirit fill us up, Lord, and let it be your Holy Spirit that speaks, God. Let the hearts here that need to hear today retain what it is you're going to speak and what you're going to say. Father, I believe you're doing a great and mighty work, Lord, and there's nothing that can stop you from doing what you're going to do. And sharing the love of you, God, is so much greater than just, as Ricky said, sitting still and waiting to see what happens, Lord. So, Father, I pray that we continue to just move forward in what you're uh, commending us to do, Lord, and I, I pray for this at this moment right now. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So, we're in Genesis 3. We're going to look at verses only 1 through 15, and we're going to see this story. Most of you know the story of the fall, right? Now, if you've been through this story, have you really read through it slowly? Have you really taken the time to understand what's taking place here and to really understand how Satan works? You see, as I was sitting here reading slowly and getting more of an understanding, I started to see just the tactics that Satan uses, the, the lies that he tries to build to, for us to believe in and move in. And so it kind of brings me to our first point, what we're going to be looking at here in the verses 1 through 6. You see, just because Adam and Eve did something so long ago doesn't mean we're so far off from being just like them, right? And so what we're in right now is like a unity series, correct? And so we look at this as what unity really means, unified. Unified just means being whole together, coming together, being knit together. Do you guys know what? See that? It's coming together and being whole. And so my first point is, lies unified us in sin. And you're probably sitting there, how can lies and unify be in the same sentence together? Well, because think about it. We all have lied in our lives, and we all have believed lies in our lives. And in that, we've been unified in sin, which sin is disobedience. And so in that, we are unified in our disobedience to God and in the former life before Christ, and also now in our own walking with Christ. But let me show you what takes place here in verses 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. So as we stop right there and we take a reflection period, what do we see here? We see, one, Satan come. In a crafty way. It's already been identified of how who he is and how he is. He's crafty. 
And he's more crafty than any other beast. So we already know this is who he is. And this is his tactics. But this is what we, if we're not so careful to slow down and see, this is what he says to the woman. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Right then and there, he presents God, but in a false way or a false implication. He distorts even Adam's mind. He starts to breathe a lie. And as this is unfolding, we see here that his craftiness is coming out, right? He says, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Well, if we look upon what Eve says next, it starts to show us that these lies are building up. It's building up and it's building up. And Eve is not prepared and Adam's not prepared for this. Because don't forget, this isn't just Eve here by herself. Adam is with her. Adam is her husband. He, he is to be the head, the leader of this, this marriage because they're married. And so she's not by herself. So I think a lot of times we've been in the history of time, we've, men of old have said, well, it was the woman that sinned first. You know, she's the one that took the fruit. No, <laughs> he was there. He was present. He was the one that had the decision to help make to not have this take place. But what we see take place here is a lie that's building up. And we see Satan using his craftiness already to, just, to uh, produce this lie that will change the course of human history. And what the woman says is very, very uh, interesting. She says, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, lest just means for fear that. So fear for fear that you die. But do you guys remember what God told Adam and Eve about the trees and the garden specifically? Right? Because God doesn't sit there and, and he's not a God of confusion. We know that, as it says in 1 Corinthians. He's not, a, he's not a God of confusion. He's a God of peace. But if we look closely in Genesis 2, 16 through 17, that covenant that he's making, that, that promise he's giving them to have the tree, this is what he says. And the Lord God commanded, now this is a command, the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now what does Satan do? Satan says, you shall, shall you not eat of any tree in the garden? A rhetorical question. He says any tree. What did God say? God said, of every tree you can eat from, but this specific one. Now, what does she say? She says, he said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it. Now, God never said in the midst of the garden, right? God said, you shall not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Specific. It was very specific in what he commanded. And so... As Satan's using these lies, that happens to us so many times. You know, we have this word right here that's from beginning to end, and some may have dove into it. Some have been hearing the stories through time of growing up in church, and God gives us his Ten Commandments and the laws, and we see through Jesus Christ that being fulfilled, and to love God and love others. But sometimes, when we aren't doing so well, it's easy to believe a lie that Satan throws at us. You see, that was a perfect representation of that man where it started out with good intention and Satan said, here, you, you want to you wanna see me wreck something? Here, I'm going to show you how I'm going to wreck it. See, Satan comes to build these lies for us to believe in so that not only us are we destroyed, but others around us can, can, be, uh, can become destroyed. But while we're looking at this, 
we see that this woman, this Eve, as she's moving forward and we see how she's saying this, she's starting to have a generalization, right? She's generalizing about what God commanded. So she's already opening up the door to Satan saying, hey, I welcome some more temptation. I welcome this lie that you have because I'm adding some modification to what God said. Because God never said to neither touch it because to eat the fruit, that means you'd have to touch it. So she adds these variations in here and she's opening the door up for Satan to come even harder and even more. And so what we see next is these lie, this lie is built up for the first belief. We see what he says. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, those verses are powerful because what we see Satan doing here is he's using this even more to confuse Adam and Eve. And he's saying, here, obtain this. You want this. You know you want it. It's desirable. It's good. Why don't you want to be like God and know good and evil? Right? Come on. He doesn't want you to be like him, but you, I know, you won't surely die. You won't have an immediate death. So he takes this and says, you will sure not, shall surely not die and proposes that there won't be an immediate death. You see, Satan comes at us in ways that we don't ever expect. He takes these lies that we can believe in, these lies that we can believe in can actually take us away from church, can make us destroy, be destroyed in who we are and our identity. Even for a fact before me, as a personal application to this, the lie that I believed the most was that I had to be a certain way, I had to be a certain type to be approved by people, by women especially, because I had a very low self-esteem, I was very insecure. And so I thought I had to be this big buff dude. I thought I had to be this guy who walked with some swagger. I thought I had to be the guy that goes into the bars. And I had to be the alpha male. Because that's what I've heard my whole life from the surrounding friend group. We got to get in there, man. We got we to gotta be the number one guys in this place. We got to be this. And I believed that for 25 years of my life. Lies can build up. It can't be just a day or a week or a month. It could be years that you're believing a lie. And this lie that you believe in can hold you back from what God wants you to experience. You see, we see so perfectly here in this lie that in 6, verse 6, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, because she believed in the deception, and that it was a light to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So the command that God gave, they disobeyed because they believed a lie. They, they, took, they took this lie and traded it. They took truth, what God gave, and traded it for a lie. We have all done that in our lives. We could have done it yesterday, this morning, last night, last week. It's so permanent that we have to be ready to see and understand what these lies are. And these lies bring us into a world of messes. Where have you believed a lie that's created a disastrous mess for your life? And this is where Ricky's going to talk to you about what messes look like in this instance and what took place here in the next verse. So Adam and Eve, they eat of the fruit, right? And then now they're in this uh, garden, and we, that leads us into verse 7. It says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. This is interesting, right? Because before their eyes weren't open, 
They just had them closed? No, you see, this sin, this lie brings in a new perspective. Changes everything. When they believe that lie and they fall into that sin, this changes everything. The garden would cease to exist to be what it used to be. Their lives were now changed. Some of you guys have a lie like that that you believed and it completely changed your life. I don't know what that is, but maybe it's something that someone has told you your whole life. And so now you think that's who you are. Or maybe it's a mistake that you made and now you believe that you are a piece of that mistake and that lie just continues to creep in on you. And it changes the trajectory of your entire life. It changes who you are. It changes what you believe about yourself. Many of you may have had that one experience where a lie transformed everything or where a lie opened up your eyes to what the, the world was according to that lie. Some people say it was the minute that my innocence was taken. I've heard that before where uh, you saw something and it changed you or you believed something and it changed you. Both of their eyes were opened and they realized they were naked. Now we have to understand the nakedness is not really the part of focus right here, right? It's not really that they were naked. It's that before they believed the lie, they were okay being naked. Before they believed the lie, they didn't have anything to hide. Y'all ever held a lie in before or told a lie? And then you were like, okay, now I got to keep this in. Or somebody tells you something and you don't want to lie to people, but you're just holding it in and you, you feel like it's going to burst and bust you open. Because you have all this lie, you have all this information that you're trying to keep inside, but the Holy Spirit's fighting against you because the Holy Spirit is truth. And it's just this lie sitting inside of you, burning a hole inside of you because you know the truth. And you want them to know the truth, but you were asked not to tell the truth. Or you have this lie about yourself that cripples you. Many of us in here uh, battle, Taylor was kind of hit on it a little bit, low self-esteem or low self-worth. See, the reason that you struggle with that, the reason that you feel that is because you believed a lie about yourself. You've chosen to believe that you are unworthy. You've chosen to believe that you are not good. You've chosen to believe that there is nothing for you. Maybe it was your parents telling you that lie. Maybe it was the outside world. Maybe it was the media. Maybe it was the TV. Whatever the case may be, you are believing a lie about yourself if you struggle with self-worth. You are believing a lie that Satan implanted inside of you. Now, what we have to remember is sometimes we also believe this lie that Satan has power. You got Satan has no power unless we give it to him. Satan was dead for rights in the garden. He could do nothing, but he manipulated Adam and Eve with the truth of God, but the partial truth of God. Right? Satan repeats some of the word back to Adam and Eve. That's crazy, right? Like he says, this is what God said. And this is a perfect picture of Matthew chapter 4, yep. where Jesus is in the wilderness. And Satan comes to him, and he takes him to the top of the tallest building. And he says, I will give you all this. And Satan can give him all that. Satan runs this world. Satan could have given Jesus the authority of this earth. He says, throw yourself down from heaven. Throw yourself down from this top and show me. The Bible says that legions of angels will come and save you. It takes a piece of that scripture. That's a psalm right there. Now at the end of the psalm, it has some more that Satan leaves out. But Jesus, being who he is, says to Satan, the Bible says not to tempt the Lord our God. See, when we believe the lies of the enemy, the lies of the world, 
when we believe the lies of Satan and we, he takes partial truth and makes us think that it's truth, then all we're doing is leading ourselves into a place where we're going to fall to the lies of the enemy. I like to call it lucrative destruction. Because sometimes a lie sounds really good. It's like anytime you get caught in a pyramid scheme, do we have anybody caught up in a pyramid scheme in here? Yeah, Barry's caught up in a pyramid scheme. He's selling essential oils and plexus and everything else that they say you can make $20,000 a month and all that stuff. If you really sell that, I'm sorry, I believe in essential oils. I just don't believe he can heal cancer or anything. And uh, it's like Michael Scott when he's at the office and he's trying to sell everybody else on the pyramid scheme. And he's like, all you have to do is this, then you get three people, then we get three people. It's phone cards. You guys remember phone cards back in the day? And then Jim comes up and he's like, yeah, this makes a pyramid. And Michael's like, I got to make a call. <laughs> right? Like we, we believe the lie that there's a way to do nothing and make $20,000 a month. That, that's a lie. You can't do that. You cannot make $20,000 a month by doing nothing. That's a lie that we believe, right? And you guys are always like, man, that sounds like a great idea. Taylor does it all the time. This dude's I, an advocate sales, or, uh, advocate salesperson. I am not. Like he's, he, yes, you are. You're, you're an ambassador. <laughs> no, I'm on, not. I'm, yes, he's I an ambassador it. on Advocare. <laughs> and many of you guys are like, what's Advocare? Yeah, that's why it's such a bad decision. I use the product. He uses it. the discount as an ambassador, whatever. But you get caught up in that lie. I can do this. I can make this happen. All I have to do is sit and be lazy, which is completely contradictory to Scripture, which means you're going to get nowhere. Mm -hmm. Right? But we can believe that lie that if we, oh, they, they, they told us something that sounded so good. And then you end up spending $1,200 and you make 56 And you have boxes of pink sugar in your garage that you cannot sell. Some of this is hitting close to home for some people. I feel that because you're like, man, I need to get rid of this pink sugar. And afterwards, you were planning coming to me and be like, you know, it'd be a great Christmas present or a stocking stuffer. Spark. What is that? Advocare. Yeah, that's Advocare. Oh, that's Advocare. So I'm sorry. Uh, but anyways, so you, you try to get rid of this stuff because you believe the lie that you can become rich just sitting at home. See, some of you are believing lies outside of that. You've realized that you were naked in the garden. You've realized that Satan has manipulated you and brought you into a place where you can't trust. A place where you no longer have any value in yourself because you felt like you failed so many times. And now every time you look in the mirror, all you see is a failure. You feel like you can't get out of the way. You feel like there's nothing more for you. I want you all to feel me and understand. I know how this feels because I've been there at times. I believed the lies of the enemy, realized I was naked, realized I now had something to hide that I couldn't hide and cover myself. So when I looked in the mirror, I didn't see somebody I wanted to see. Many of you feel like that today. Many of you are sitting in your seats right now dreading Monday. How am I going to get through Monday? How am I going to get through Tuesday? How am I going to go to my 8 to 5 and make it through? How am I going to deal with my boss tomorrow? How am I going to deal with my kids? How am I going to do school this week? I only got two weeks left. It's that final of this semester. How am I going to make it through? And you begin to think all I got to do is get through. That's a lie of the enemy, people. You can't just get through life. Because if you just get through life, Satan's manipulating you and making you believe that all you got to do is go through the rigors and there's nothing more for you. And that when you reach retirement, then you'll be able to live life. 
or when you've got this position or that position. No, if you're living your life to watch TV, to make it through work and to go to dinner, then I'll tell you what, you're not living a life. You're believing a lie of the enemy and you're naked before God and he wants to restore you and transform you. But you're just saying, no, I can't let go of this lie because this is my life. This is where I'm comfortable. God wants to move you from the lie. But you've got to realize you're naked and that you can't cover yourself. It says Adam and Eve sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Oh, man, that sounds like us. We start to believe a lie, and then you know what we do? We make other lies to cover up the lie. Some of y'all got like 14-generation lies on your mind right now. You're like, yeah, I can never tell my parents that I went to Florida when I was 17 years old. They still think I went on a mission trip to Alaska. They didn't know I was on spring break. And then I had to cover that lie up with 40 other lies. They don't know I had alcohol poison. They don't know none of that. Like, they just think that I was in Alaska telling the Eskimos about Jesus. You even did some Photoshop, and you have pictures of you with Eskimos. Right? You went to, like, a daycare and was like, hey, wear this suit, and you're, like, taking selfies with them. Like, hey, I told this Eskimo about Jesus. I don't think Eskimos are short, though. I don't know. I don't know why I went with kids there. But anyways... You got 14 generation lies. Some parents in here, you're like, man, I can't even tell my kid what happened to their dog. I'm just going to keep going with the story that it escaped when the door was open. Right? When in reality, you know what happened to the dog. You took the dog to the pound, right? That little thing was chirping. You took it to the pound. I used to have a bird when I was a kid. My grandma got it for me. It was super annoying. If you've ever had a bird, they wake up at like 5 a.m. and they start chirping. And it lives in your house. And one day I came home from school and I was like, Mom, where's my bird? And she's like, well, I was cleaning. I, had, I was cleaning with bleach, so I opened a door and it flew out. Well, I had a cage. No, it just flew out. It opened the cage. <laughs> and as a kid, I'm like, okay. I guess I believe you because you're my mom. See, but that's us sometimes. That's Santa Claus. What? We can't talk about that. I know. He said Santa Claus. We're not going to get into that right now. Because Zane still a strong believer. Uh, and so what I'm saying, though, is that sometimes when an authority tells us a lie, we don't even ask any questions. Mm-hmm. I was talking about that pastor earlier. He told all kinds of lies. And just people just went along with it because of his position. They didn't know the word of God well enough to know when a lie was coming at them. Just like Satan Use that lie for Adam and Eve. He was like, hey, here's partial truth. Oh, you don't remember exactly what God told you? That's perfect. Because I can manipulate you. I can make you think you're worthless. I can make you think that I'm going to give you something great when in reality I'm going to destroy everything that you have. I can make you think this, but I'm really going to do this. See, that's why I call it lucrative destruction when we believe the lies of the enemy because it sounds so good. It sounds really good that you can make $20,000 a year. But guess what? You're going to end up with 1,400 boxes of pink stuff in your garage. And guess what? Now you're living in destruction. It, it sounds really good when someone tries to manipulate you and make you think that if you do something for them, then they'll love you. It, it sounds really good that you can earn something from somebody. 
It sounds really good if someone wants to give you things. It, it sounds really good when someone takes you and leads you down a journey where they say they're going to give you everything that you want, when in reality all you do is end up hurting yourself and all they do is harm you because they got you with the one lie. It sounded so good, it sounded so lucrative, but that lucrativeness leads you into destruction because if it's not the truth, it's not worth it. But how do we know the truth? How do we uh, go out the lies? How do we know when a lie is being told to us? Got to know the word of God. There's a philosophical statement called absolute truth. Most philosophy and philosophers would argue that there is no absolute truth. I argue that there's one. It's the word of God. That the word of God is my light. That the word of God directs me. That it is the thing that detects all the lies so that I can continue to cling to the father. See, if you got self-value problems today, the way to defeat it is the father. Is the father. Maybe, maybe some of you in here today are like, well, my father was not good, and you project what your father was onto our father God, and that hurts a little bit. But you just got to power through the word of God to find that the father loves you, and the father will not lead you astray. God is not going to lead you astray. God's not going to lead you into something that's going to absolutely destroy you. He might lead you into something that feels hurtful, that feels like there's no way out, but he's with you and he's going to guide you through it. But he'll never break you down to where you believe a lie about yourself. That's not who God is. If a church has ever told you that you're a bad person, then you went to the wrong church. If a church has ever told you that you're worthless, you went to the wrong church. If a church has ever told you that the way that you act is what makes you worthless, then you went to the wrong church because sin is what made us into this believing into these lies. Sin is what separates us from God. So the only worthlessness that we have is because of our sin, but God defeats it on the cross. And so whatever lies we're believing today, people, we need to understand that the truth will free you from the lie. Taylor's going to share with you verse 8 on how we seek to hide when we realize our lies. Yeah. Oh, I like what he said about that the lies can lead us into destruction and it's lucrative destruction and we keep believing lie after lie after lie and as these lies pile up, what it does to us is it causes us to feel small. We shrink. Um, it, honestly, it starts to shame. We start to feel shame. That thing that you feel inside, that negativity, it's, it's shame. And so what happens in that shame, we start to feel guilty in that shame and uh, it's not good. It's what Satan wants for us. And so we see how he used this, this craftiness and this uh, lie to unify sin and to bring in lucrative destruction, how it's going to uh, lies shame us into hiding, right? It's like what Ricky said, what lie are you still holding on to today that's causing you to stay in this darkness? We see here in verse 8 through 14, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves. From the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. He said, he, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to me to be with me gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Now as we reflect there, 
it's so beautiful what Adam says. It's, it's hurtful, but think about this. God knew what they did, right? There was no God didn't know and then came down and asked. God knew what they did, and that's exactly why he came down, to have them confess. So that this lie can be exposed, and so that they can move forward from believing this lie. And this is what Adam does. Because he's so caught, and him and Eve are so caught in this lie, they go into hiding, and they go into this shame, and he says to them, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And it's like Ricky, Ricky said, it wasn't about the nakedness. See, the shame of their sin is what exposed them to have their eyes open to what really they did, the disobedience, to believing the lie of the enemy. And in believing that lie, they believed they couldn't become in the presence of God anymore. They went into hiding. They went into shame. Now think about that, where you are in your life right now with whatever sin you are holding on to, whatever lie you're believing. How far are you in shame and, and hiding that you can't feel like you can go to God? It's, so, it's such a beautiful thing that I, we were able to talk about this today because about a month ago, Ricky can attest to this. I myself was believing a lie by myself. That for a week and a half, I didn't read this. The lie that I was believing was leading to destruction. And it led me into shame. And it was a personal issue. And I thought that I couldn't do what I was supposed to do with God anymore. And that it affected my discipleships. But the biggest thing I learned was Satan tries to isolate you in believing that lie so that you feel like you have to put these up and fight your way out. You don't have to do the fighting. <laughs> God came. He came to them. He came in his presence in a mighty and powerful way, in a way that we've not seen before in Scripture. To be with them, even in their disobedience, even in their shame and hiding, he chose to come to love them, to show them, hey, you disobeyed. I know you're ashamed right now. But talk to me. Confess to me. You see... The biggest thing that Satan does when, when we start to believe that lie and shames us into hiding, it's, it's, it's dangerous. As you see in chapter 4, it talks about there being a, uh, a ravenous lion. That's what Satan is. He's coming and he's ready to pounce on you as you keep holding on to this sin. And so God's coming to them and telling them, hey, stop holding on to this shame. Stop holding on to this guilt that you have, this lie that you've been leaving. But talk to me. Tell me about it. Because what's funny is, is that as we see as they believe in this lie and the shame and, and then the hiding, we start to see a blame game come here, right? We start to see Adam and Eve play a blame game. And that's what sin does to us. It turns us against ourselves, against God, and against others within the church and outside the church. You see, Adam was so 
naive to really say this before God. He said, the woman whom you gave to be with me. <laughs> what does that sound like? He's looking at God and saying, you gave me this woman. It's almost as if he's looking at God and saying, well, you gave me her and look what she, look what she made me fall and do. How easy is it for us to blame somebody else when we're in sin? <laughs> right? For us to look upon somebody else and say, well, they got sin, they got this dirt, dark, dirty laundry, so I'm going to keep being in this dark, dirty laundry. You see, we can't look at our sin and compare our sin to other sin, right? That's not how this works. That's what Satan wants because he wants to destroy what God is building up in the, in the, the church and in the structure of the kingdom. Not one of us sitting in this place today are without sin. From this very morning, from this very last night, but for us to look at somebody and say, well, since you have that sin, I'm going to keep being in this sin, this disobedience. Because it's okay for you to do it, so I'm going to keep here and doing it. Because you've done that, it's going to cause me to stumble. Now, in Romans, it talks about causing a brother to stumble. But that's why we pursue this right here. The absolute truth to, to be directed from it. Because in that, that week and a half of not being in this, God broke me down so hard and was like, you need me. Come on. Come back to me. Stop believing in this lie, this shame that you're hiding in, and this guilt. It's affecting you and the others around you. It, you're letting Satan destroy what I've given you in a gift. Why are you letting Satan have power who has no power? I opened up the Word, and I started to read, and I started to pray, and just like that. It spoke to me. Reminded me of who I was, of what I was called to. Now, don't get me wrong, we're all called to different things in our lives, but being called to what I am, I hold dear to my heart. And the lie I was believing was making me feel shamed and running away from that calling, to be scared of trusting that calling. He can attest to that. You don't understand how many phone conversations I've had about feeling like I was being attacked by wolves and I was in a corner. That's what Satan does to us. The lies you start to believing in and the lies you keep holding on to continue to lead to the destruction in your life that continues to lead you into shame, into hiding. It affects you, your family, your friends, your church, the people outside the church most importantly. It makes you not want to talk about Jesus because you feel like you're not good enough to talk about Jesus. You see, I learned very fast that, yes, in the hypocrisy of sin... The hypocritical part is the sin. You see, even in our sin, it's covered up by what Jesus has done. And so at this point, we don't have that promise yet, but it's coming. And Ricky's going to lead us into what that looks like in verse 15. Now, here's what's super interesting. In verse 15, it says, And I will put enmity, 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 enmity. And I, that word, I practiced it before I came in here. Can't get it. Enmity. Enmity. It's like I used to not be able to say triathlon. I used to say triathlon. And it took me like six months. I finally got it. So enmity is my next word. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So think about that for a second. It says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. Talk about Satan and the offspring. Never once does God say... I want us to have a different relationship. Think about that for a minute. Because sometimes when we believe a lie, sometimes when we get caught up in sin, what do we do? We want to, we want to run away from God. 
Or we think that God can't love us. Or we think that, well, he must be upset with us because of our sin. And sometimes this belief of being, God being upset with us leads us completely away from the church and completely away from the word. And it makes us live a life of shame. Think about that for a second. When you're caught up in your biggest sin, when, when you feel like you're being the worst, when you feel like you're believing lies, what do you do? You don't run to church. You typically run away. You're like, man, I don't want to be around God's people because if I'm around God's people, to know who I really am. Hey, let me tell you the truth. Let me put your mind to ease. Who you really are is a prince and a princess of Jesus. That's who you really are. Now, you're messed up. You make mistakes, of course. So do I. So does he. So do you. We all make mistakes. But that mistake does not put enmity between you and God. See, it's Satan who's chasing after you. It's Satan who's trying to pull you away and believe the lies. But God's power is greater than him. So if you ever choose to run away from God, you're running away from the purpose that he has created you with. And you're running away and believing a lie that there's enmity between you and God. The only thing between you and God is love and separation because of your sin. But because Jesus defeated that separation and defeated the sin on the cross, that brings you into reconciliation with him. And nothing at that point holds you back from God. You are as close to God as Adam and Eve were to God. But so often we run away because we believe a lie that we're not good enough. We believe a lie that we actually can do right, wrong by God. That, our, that it matters how good of a life that we live. It doesn't matter how good of a life that you live. It doesn't. Guess what? You can't live a good life. Why can't you live a good life? Because God compares everything that we do to dirty rags. The only thing that is good to God is His Son and who He is. That's the only thing that is good to God. Now, what do we do as followers of Christ? We defeat the lies through the Word of God. Trust Jesus that He's going to guide us, direct us, and lead us. And we run to Him every time things feel like they're not right. Every time we start to believe a lie, we run to him and trust that he'll give us the truth, the direction, and the guidance. What does John say? Well, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Oh, that's beautiful, right? No one comes to the Father except through him. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Think about that. Think about some of the other lies that we believe. That we can get to Jesus a different way. That we can be good enough for Jesus. That we can not make Jesus the Lord of our life and still follow him. That, that's a funny one. Yeah, Jesus, I want to follow you, but I'm going to do whatever I want. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of people who tell you that. There's a lot of churches spewing lies. Yeah, all you got to do is know God. That's it. That's called universalism. All paths lead to God. Do you guys believe that? Because I don't. You know what else doesn't believe that? God. Or the word of God. Or the truth of God. All ways do not lead to God. You cannot worship whatever you want and believe that you can have a relationship with him. You cannot be the Lord of your own life and believe that you're going to heaven. You cannot be the Lord of your life and believe that you have a relationship with Jesus. If you're believing those lies, all you're doing is getting caught up in the trick that the enemy wants you to be caught up in. Because then there's enmity between you and God. But God, in his perfect foreknowledge and knowing that we would believe lies, said, I'm going to send my son Jesus and he will crush the head of the enemy who lies to you. But here's the deal. He crushed it. You know how he crushed it? He crushed it when he died on the cross. Remember, he took your sin, my sin, his sin, all of our sin upon himself and he died on the cross. 
He did that for you. He did that for me. Then he resurrected three days later. Then he ascended to be with the Father. Now he sits at the right hand of the Father petitioning for us. God did that for us. He made a way for us. He did it so that we could defeat all the lies through his sacrifice for us. But so often we still believe a lie that we don't have to sacrifice. He sacrificed for us. We have to sacrifice for him. God never once said, all you got to do is love me. All you got to do is follow me. God said, repent and be baptized. That's powerful, right? Repent and be baptized. Leave your life of sin, be born again, and come with me. See, remember, the, the Great Commission says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey the commands that I've taught you. To repent and be baptized means to follow a new leader. Right? To repent and be baptized means that you give up the old and you come into the new. Does that mean you just change overnight? No, that's not what that means. But it means you begin to give up the old and come into the new. Y'all feel me? Y'all hearing me? Y'all checking with me? To give up the old and come into the new. To give up all the lies that you believed about yourself, that you're unworthy, that you're not good enough, that you're, you're not uh, who you're supposed to look like, that you're not the way that you're supposed to be, that your personality is wrong. All of those things, you got to quit believing those lies and step into the truth that you are a prince and a princess of Jesus Christ when you repent and baptize and believe and call out to him to enter into that relationship with him. See, most of us in here, we're believing a lie. That all we got to do is go to church. That all we got to do is say we're a Christian. All we got to do is go to hell then. You don't hear me talk a lot about hell, but here's the reality. If you're not following Jesus in a sacrificial relationship with him where you're repenting and being baptized and following a new leader and making him the Lord of your life, the reality is there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You're going to hell, eternal separation from God. Now, I'm being hellfire and brimstone, and that's not me, but I want you guys to understand this. If you think that you can follow God by your own ability, by the ways that you want to live your life, then I will be forever hard broken for you because you can't follow Jesus without following Jesus what does it mean to follow Jesus oh man it's, it's pretty simple you're like Ricky how can it be so simple because Jesus knows we're stupid so he said love God love others make disciples that's what it looks like to follow Jesus if you're not doing those things then you really need to pray. <laughs> you really need to think. Because loving God doesn't look like just getting through work. Loving God looks like making your work a place where you worship. Loving others doesn't look like having a scowl on your face and walking past people on the street. Loving others does not look like getting road rage and flipping somebody off as you drive by them. Loving others does not look like being angry and mean to the cashier at the grocery store because she's not good at her job, you think. 
Loving others does not look like getting angry at a waitress because she didn't fill up your cup and you had to, God forbid, wait seven minutes without water. Loving others looks like, hey, I know you're having a hard day. Loving others looks like a smile. You know what loving others really looks like that we often forget is just sharing the gospel. And think about that. Think about that. Sometimes we believe a lie that all we have to do is say Jesus loves you. Yeah, that's a reality. That is awesome. I love that. But that's not the full story. Jesus loves you, but you're a sinner and you're in need of Jesus. And without Jesus, you'll be separated from him. You need Jesus because I needed Jesus. Can I tell you about how Jesus changed me? Can I tell you who I was and who he made me in to be? Can I tell you the lies that I was believing before he showed me the truth? If you're not seeking to love God, love others, and make disciples, then you need to check your heart. Because I believe the biggest tactic and lie of the enemy is to make a lot of people think they're following Jesus. Remember what the book of Matthew says. They came to him and they say, Father, Father. And Jesus says, depart from me because I never knew you. And they say, but Jesus, I did this in your name. Jesus, I went to church. Jesus, I gave every once in a while. Jesus, it was Christmas and Easter and I went. Jesus, one time I went on a mission trip to Mexico and told some little Mexican kids about Jesus. I did that. I didn't tell them about your gospel, but I gave them some rice and I told them about uh, the ways that you can look at this little book and see Jesus. I didn't tell them that you died for them, though. I, I didn't tell them that they were sinners. I thought that would, I thought that would damper the mood. Think about that for a moment. I had a best friend. He didn't know Jesus. I never took the time to share the gospel with him, but I was there for him. Okay, great. You should have been there for him. But you're, you're living out the love of Jesus. I think that's amazing. But you can live out the love of Jesus to someone for their whole lives, and if you never tell them the way to be uh, eternally reunited with the Lord, then you've done nothing for them. And if you're believing a lie that all you got to do is say a prayer, you're doing nothing for yourself. If your life doesn't reflect Jesus, you don't know Jesus. And you might be like, Ricky, that's a bold statement. Yeah, I know it's a bold statement. That's why we have discipleship at this church, so that we can walk with you one-on-one to help you understand what it looks like to follow Jesus. I'm backing up my bold statement. I'm not just saying, yeah, now figure it out. Go home and read the Bible and figure it out. Come on, people, you want to go to hell, you sinners? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you ha- or not, your life does not reflect Jesus, then you need discipleship. You need a relationship. And you need to learn the word of God so that you can live out the power of God. Because if you keep believing lies, then your relationship isn't going to be strong enough. You're going to continue to believe lies and you're going to fall into the tactics of the enemy to separate you from God eternally. You're so valuable. You, every person in this room, you're valuable. You're amazing. You have unlimited potential, not within yourself, but within the Holy Spirit that Jesus has given you. He loves you that much. Everything that you do should be a reflection of Him because He has positioned you for a purpose in that position. He's given you everything that you have to use it to share the glory of Jesus. Your bank account, that's for the glory of Jesus. 
Your home, that's for the glory of Jesus. Your car, that's for the glory of Jesus. Your husband, your spouse, your significant other, that's for the glory of Jesus. Your babies, that's for the glory of Jesus. Your job, the reason that you have one, the glory of Jesus. Jesus is the reflection of our life. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our hope. See, Christmas is about the coming of our hope. They waited thousands of years for the coming of their hope. Thousands of years for the coming of their hope. And we make so little of it. We make so little of it. And all we got to do is say a prayer when we're four years old and we can follow Jesus for the rest of our lives. Yeah, that, that's amazing if your parents disciple you. If the church comes around you and disciples you. If the church and, the whole, and your parents teach you what the Holy Spirit is. Yes, that's, that's amazing. But you have to understand. If you continue to believe a lie that God is little, then he'll be a little God in your life. God is not little. That's why he's the authority of your life. God wants you. God desires you. You might have a relationship with God, and if you do, man, I'm, I'm praising him for it. You might have a relationship, and it's a little rocky, and you need some discipleship. Everybody in this room is called to be discipled. That, that's a reality. You have to be discipled. doesn't matter how old you are. doesn't matter how smart you are. You might end up getting discipled by an 18-year-old kid who's been to discipleship for two years, and they're dumber than you, they're poorer than you, and they're younger than you. But you know what they got that's a little bit more than you? Is they've walked in a commandment that God called us to for two years. Think about that. God called you to get discipled. God called you to get baptized. God called you to follow him. God calls you to keep his commands. Quit believing lies that you don't got to do those things. Quit believing lies that you don't need the church. Hey, God wouldn't have called it his bride if it wasn't important to him. You never just wake up in the morning and look at your wife and be like, you're just really not that important to me. I don't really like you. Don't know why we're sharing a bed. If you do, then it's not going to be your wife anymore. You would never do that. So how can you wake up one morning and be like, Jesus, I hate your church. You know what you're saying? Jesus, I hate the thing that you love. I hate the thing that you died for. I hate the thing that gives you passion. I hate the thing that breaks your heart. I hate the thing that you love. You say that to Jesus, he's going to convict you real quick. There might be some pastors on TV who tell you differently. And they go home to their millions of dollars and that gives them comfort to continue to blaspheme the word of God. They come and when it won't give them comfort no more. Thank you for listening this week. To learn more about ID Clifton, including our gathering times, small groups, and events coming up, visit us at idclifton.com. Again, thank you for listening to the ID Clifton podcast. And remember, love God and love others. Thank you.